Let's pray. God, we thank you have, God, to look at your word and to hear from you. God, as we look at a topic that is not a fun topic to talk about, God, today we, I pray that we would see you as the one who is faithful. God, you as the one who is with us and you as the one who goes before us and guides the way. God, be with us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, we're going to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter chapter 3. Persecution. It's a word that many people would rather not talk about. To be persecuted means to be challenged, pushed away, or harmed because of one's faith and belief. In today's world, persecution looks very different based on where you are geographically. Here in the U.S., persecution may result in social ostracism, job loss, or loss of freedom of religious expression, while on the other side of the world, our brothers and sisters face persecution leading to the loss of their families, the loss of their property, and even the loss of their lives. The current cost of persecution in the United States compared to the cost of persecution around the world is a lot smaller. But we know that the same God who is with us and is with our brothers and sisters around the world who are facing extreme persecution. As we turn to 1 Peter chapter 3, continuing our series in 1 Peter, we find a church that is being challenged to stand strong. A church that is being challenged to stay faithful and a church that is being prepared for coming worse persecution for them. We know that they stand in a place similar to we would stand today, where their persecution they were facing was primarily social ostracism, was primarily being pushed to the side and being looked at as being dumb for their belief in God. But they were preparing, and Peter was preparing them for the reign of Nero and for the persecution that was to come. You and I do not know what the future holds for the U.S. We do not know what the future holds for us. But the reality is persecution is around us. Persecution is something that we will face if we're faithful to follow Jesus. And how are we going to cling to truth? And how are we going to cling to God in the midst of persecution? Whatever and whenever that may come. If you have your Bibles, 1 Peter chapter 3. If you'd stand and join me in the reading of God's Word. 1 Peter chapter 3 starting in verse 13 now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good but even if you should suffer for righteousness sake you will be blessed have no fear of them nor be troubled but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for the reason for the hope that is in you yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you're slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he may bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. 
Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. Not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Let us pray. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. You can grab a seat. So when suffering comes, when times of trial, when times of struggle, when times of being pushed to the margins, when times of being looked at for being dumb, for believing in God, when those moments come, what do we do? First, when suffering comes, we remember who and whose we are. When suffering comes, we remember who and whose we are. Because the fact, church, is we are people, if we've placed our faith in Jesus, who are the beloved children of God. We are people who have been brought from death to life. We are people that Jesus has changed who we are. And so when suffering comes, we stand in the face of suffering not alone. We stand in the face of suffering knowing whose we are and therefore knowing who we are. Because the fact that we stand in God's hands, the fact that God is our Savior and is our Lord and that we walk with Him changes everything. And especially how we view suffering. And so in Peter's exhortation to the church in verse 13, he begins and he says this, Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? First point on your sheet, we are not to be ultimately harmed by suffering. We are not, we cannot be ultimately harmed by suffering. The reality is this, suffering is something that will come. And suffering is something that is coming in a lot stronger way to those on the other side of the world. But when suffering comes, we could be harmed physically, we could be harmed emotionally, we could lose our family, we could even lose our very lives. But the hope of the gospel is that we would not ultimately be harmed by suffering. Because God is the one who's in control. God is the one who has the final call. God is the one who we will one day stand before. And the reality is whatever persecution, whatever trial, whatever thing we find ourselves in is not, doesn't have the ultimate word on our life. We cannot be ultimately harmed by suffering, which leads Peter to verse 14. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them and do not be troubled. Number two on your sheet, we'll be blessed by God through our suffering. We will be blessed by God through our suffering. When we come to times of trial, when we come to moments of suffering, we know that God is the one that will bless us. And that blessing may not come in the way we would want, like getting out of whatever we're in or the circumstance working out the way we pictured it. The blessing of God is eternal life. The blessing of God is the fact that he is with us and for us in every moment of life. The blessing of God is that one day we will stand before him, his beloved children, and see the completion of our belief as we see him face to face. This echoes what Jesus tells his disciples in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5.10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven when we face persecution we cannot ultimately be harmed by it we'll be blessed by God through our suffering and next we must focus our gaze on the one who is Lord we must focus our gaze on the one who is Lord first part of verse 15 but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy 
in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. I don't know about you, but um, I opened up Facebook this morning and was scrolling through and just seeing posts of people. As we look at our world, as we look at our current political election that stands before us, as we look at all the uncertainty that we live in, we have to kind of wonder, what's going to happen? What is the end going to be? And as we sit in a place as America where we wonder what is next, the, the same call that Peter gives to the church to look up is the same call we may need today. Because guess what? There's someone on a throne And he's not a political candidate for either party. The one on the throne is not, the one that has the ultimate say is not any one of us or anyone even on this planet. And guess what? The fact that we feel like the world may be out of control, the fact that we may feel like we do not know the future, the one who holds the future in his hands is the one who's still seated on a throne. And nothing's going to shock him. And he's the one who is in control and he's the one who we must fix our gaze on. Just as Peter called those that are suffering to fix our gaze on the one who is Lord. Whatever happens here is temporary. And as we look up and as we remember who he is, that he is the Lord and he has the final say, we can cling to that with hope. We also see that he is holy. Set in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. When we look at God, God is holy other. God is totally different. God is great and above our minds and our imaginations. And he is totally separate. So as we look at him, he's totally separate. And we realize that we are called to be totally separate. That we are called to be holy. That we are called to be set apart. And despite the brokenness and imperfections that we face in our world, we set our eyes on one. And he's the perfect one. And as we look to him, we seek to worship him as the one who is the one who is set apart, holy, and other. God is great. God is holy. God is on a throne. And it doesn't matter what happens in the here and now, because the fact that he's on a throne is not going to change. And we can have hope in that, and we can cling to that. In times of persecution, we realize that we cannot ultimately be harmed by suffering, that we will be blessed by God through our suffering. We must refocus our gaze on the one who is Lord. And next, we must respond with our reason for hope. We must respond with our reason for hope. Verse 15 continues, Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and respect. When people look at you, do they wonder where's the hope? Do you live a life that's so compelling and so different that people look at you and say, what is different about them? We think about this text a lot in light of apologetics. And when we think about apologetics, the whole thought of having a conversation with someone who doesn't believe in God and having the right answers and therefore, by our knowledge, being able to argue them into faith is something that we tend to struggle with. Because the reality is you and I can't argue someone into faith. You and I aren't smart enough. And it's only God through His Spirit that works in someone's heart. So when we're called to make a defense, this is less about a theological argument. This is less about presuppositions about God's existence. This is about the reason for our hope. And the reason for our hope is Jesus has changed my life. For those of you who don't know, I'm the youth pastor here. And one thing we've been working through on Wednesday nights is a series where we've had different people come in and share their story. And one of the coolest things about this series is you've had people who feel comfortable standing up in front of a group and talking and you've had people 
that would not be comfortable standing up in, a, in front of a group and talking. But the reality is when they stand up to, sell, to tell their story, it's compelling because it's their life. It's their story. It's the hope that God has given them. And so we're called to share the reason for our hope. And the reality is our story sometimes is a story that didn't go how we'd planned. And as we share that story, people see hope. People see grace. People see that God is good. And the reason for our hope is in the gospel. And it says that we're supposed to present this with gentleness and respect. When we're asked the reason for our hope, do we respond with gentleness and respect? Because the reality is, a lot of times, what comes across online is not done with gentleness. And it's not done with respect. If we leave gentleness out of our gospel, we undercut the very message that we have been called to proclaim. Because if the message of grace is just for us, We've missed the point of the gospel because grace is for everyone. And grace meets us where we are and changes us into the people that God is calling us to become. We respond with grace. We respond with respect. Because the reality is we may think what someone believes is dumb. But the reality is we don't want them to think what we believe is dumb. Are we approaching people with gentleness and respect can we love and respect someone with whom we disagree it's tough but when we fail to respond in a way that is graceful and respectful is that moment where we forget who we once were that we forget but for grace there go i we respond with the hope that is in us And next, we must live a compelling life. We must live a compelling life. Verse 16. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. Peter is calling the church to live such a life that if something negative was to be said about them, it would have to be a lie. That there's nothing there. That they have a compelling life. That when people look at you, they see Jesus. A compelling life is one that comes from a moral compass of a conscience that is surrendered to the Holy Spirit and results in living a life that is above question by outsiders. Are we living holy lives? We must live a compelling life. And in verse 17, next point, we must face suffering knowing whom we serve. We must face suffering knowing who we serve. Verse 17, for it is better to suffer for doing good that if it should be God's will, then for doing evil. We see God's will here that God has a plan and God has a purpose. Um, one thing that's big in the fall in the state of Alabama is college football. And there are some people that uh, like to schedule events on the days and during the times of big-time games. I don't know about you, that's a point of struggle for me. And so if they, if they scheduled something during the game and you missed the game and you put the game on your DVR... And as you're driving home to watch your game, you realize that we live in a technological world and you can't really hide from the score. So on the way home, you get the score to the game. So you go home to watch the game and you know the score, right? And so when you know the score of the game and you're watching the game, the game all of a sudden becomes a lot less stressful. 
that interception that you didn't want to happen in overtime, or whatever the things end up being, becomes something that isn't really a big thing because you know the end in mind. You know what is going to happen, and therefore you can breathe a little calmer. You can yell the coach through the TV, which somehow is supposed to work a little quieter. But the reality is you know the end of the story. You know what is going to happen. And therefore you can rest knowing, that the end is, knowing what the end is going to be. The reality is we're on the winning team. We know that Jesus is going to come back and split the sky and bring us all home to him. And we are going to be forever with him. And therefore whatever happens in the meantime, we know the end. And no matter how dark this moment is, no matter how hard it seems to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the reality is we know who we serve and we know who wins. Are we clinging to that? Do we cling to that hope? Because we know who we serve and we know who wins. Which leads us to Jesus. Verses 18 through 22, we shift to Jesus. And we see that when suffering comes, we remember Jesus' victory through his own suffering. When suffering comes, we remember Jesus' victory through his own suffering. In verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus came and suffered in our place to bring life from death. Jesus came and suffered in our place to bring life from death. In the book of Isaiah, about 600 years before Jesus, Isaiah the prophet says this about the coming Messiah. He, speaking of Christ, was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds... We are healed. When we stood as enemies to God, when we stood as those who by our lives spit in the face of God and stood as his enemies, he came and he died for us. He came and he set us free. He came and he changed the direction of our lives. And the reality is, because Jesus suffered, he can relate to us. Because Jesus suffered, he gives us an example of the fact that his death brought our new life. And therefore, we can have hope. Which leads to verses 19 through 20. And it's an honor to be able to preach. It's an honor that Chris asked me to fill in this week. But it's always fun when you sit down to do research and study for a sermon. And every book you open goes... This is one of the most difficult texts in the New Testament to figure out what it means. So I walked into Chris's office and thanked him for that. But when you, when you think about a text like this, uh, you see in verse 19, you see this. Um, in which he, speaking of Jesus, went and proclaimed to the spirits that are in prison. So Jesus is going and proclaiming something to certain spirits in prison. Um, 
I don't know if you've ever read the Bible and went, huh? But that's what I did here. Um, the reality is Martin Luther, who is the father of the Protestant Reformation, wrote a commentary on this book. And one thing Luther said is when he got to this text is he said, I don't even know what it means. And since I'm not smarter than Luther and um, all that, we'll look at the, the questions. This raises three questions. Who are these spirits? When did Jesus go to them? And what did he say to them? All of which we do not have good answers for. Um, you can, if you want to do some research, you can get almost every scholar to argue with each other on this and not land at a satisfactory answer. So we leave that to the scholars to debate, but we'll look at the major point, which is this. Jesus went and proclaimed to his enemies the victory over death. Jesus went and proclaimed to his enemies the victory over death. Who these people are, when this happened, what specifically was said, we do not know, but we know the simple truth that comes clearly from this text is that Jesus conquered death by his resurrection and is proclaiming this truth to those who stood opposed to him. Christ is the victor. In this text, Christ wants to make that known to everyone. The cry of Christ the victor echoes over death, persecutors and those who would stand against the coming reign of king jesus we can cling to the hope that jesus has overcome and that he proclaimed to his enemies the victory over death which leads to the next point jesus gives us baptism as a picture of the rescue we have received by faith jesus gives us baptism as a rescue as a picture of the rescue we have received by faith second part of verse 20 we'll just start at the beginning verse 20 Because they did not formally obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was still being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Christ Jesus. Here we see a picture of baptism linked to Noah's ark. When we see in verse 21, baptism which corresponds to repentance now saves you. That is a questionable text that that in light of all of scripture, we know that baptism is not the means of salvation. We aren't baptized to be saved. But as we look at this text, we see a picture. And it's a word picture. We flash back to Genesis and we see Noah and the ark. I don't know if you've seen all the cute things for the children with all the couples of animals, the husband and wife animal, get on the ark to go for a trip. No, the story's about much more than that. The reality is God is bringing his judgment on on the people for their sin and that God has reached out to Noah and Noah has, by faith, placed his faith in God, believing that God would save them through the ark. So Noah sets out and he builds an ark. When there's no rain, no nothing, imagine like someone building a boat now in the drought in Alabama in the middle of their driveway. You would look at them and think they were nuts, right? Noah's, everyone thinks Noah's crazy. And so Noah builds the ark and Noah and his family get on the ark. The floods come and God saves Noah through the ark. Notice it's not the ark that is doing the saving. The ark is something that God decreed for him to make and Noah placed his faith in God and by following faithfully with God he built an ark let's flash forward to baptism we are saved just like Noah was saved by placing our faith in God and his finished work of Jesus on the cross that's how we are saved in the New Testament right so baptism serves as a picture just like the ark served as a picture in Genesis baptism is an outward 
picture of the change that Christ has done in our life. So if you get baptized, you go up here, and if you get baptized here, and uh, whatever pastor's doing it would, would say something like, you're buried with Christ in baptism, and you're raised to walk in a new life. And it's a picture of baptism showing the world that you have been saved and that you have been changed by God. Because the reality is, a change that God does in our heart is something that you really can't see because it's in the heart. But this is an outward picture of that. So just like the ark was an outward picture of the salvation of God in Noah's day, baptism is an outward picture of the salvation of God in our day. And the reality is, a lot of times, we make excuses about baptism. We go, well, it doesn't save me, I don't need to do it. Well, I don't like being in front of people, so I don't want to be up front and do that. Or, if we're really honest about it, this is the really odd thing we do in church, because we don't baptize anybody anywhere else. So when you think about, like, baptism, this is a step that is showing the world that you are a follower of Jesus. And the reality is, if we're going to take a stand for Christ in a world that is against us, in a world that pushes us to the side, in a world that ostracizes us, And we can't take a stand in here with people that love us and care about us and want to celebrate God's work in our life? How's that going to happen? Jesus gives us baptism as this picture of this rescue that we have received by faith. And today, if you've not been baptized, today if you want to come and to talk with me and we can set up a time for Pastor Chris to do that, we would love for you to do that. Because if we're going to boldly proclaim to the world that Christ is our Lord, that has to start in here. Which leads Peter to verse 17. Or verse 22, sorry. Verse 22. Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. Last in this text. Jesus reigns as the sovereign over all things. Jesus reigns as sovereign over all things despite the bleakness of the world despite any persecution that we're currently facing or that may come our way there's one who reigns over all and is sovereign over all there's one who is certain there's one who never changes there's one who reigns let us live lives that are surrendered to his reign and seeking to live out the priorities of his kingdom until the day he comes back to bring that kingdom to completion. Jesus reigns as sovereign over all. And one day we're going to stand before him. And what matters on that day is what matters more than any other day, where we stand with God. But before we go there, in your bulletin there is a sheet of paper that um, says North Korea on it. If y'all put the map on the screen, that'd be great. Uh, There's a ministry called Open Doors International, and I know this is kind of hard to see, uh, but this is a map of the northern part of Africa and Asia. If you'll see the red areas, the darker the color gets, the more difficult and challenging the persecution is in that part of the world. And there's one country that stands out, North Korea, because North Korea has sat on the number one spot of for persecution globally for the last 14 years this is a place where to believe in god and to take a stand for him means that you are going to be put in a labor camp and tortured if you're caught this is a world where to share with your family the hope that you have may mean the end of life as you know it 
North Korea is a dark, dark place. And I think it's easy for us to sit in a text and look at a text like today about persecution and think, thank you, Lord, that's not me. But the reality is brothers and sisters of ours around the world today, this moment right now, are suffering for that faith in Christ. So I think this text calls us to pray for them. This text calls us to intercede alongside of them. So my challenge for you this week is to take this sheet for North Korea. And if you want to pray for other persecuted uh, groups, the website's at the bottom of the sheet. You can go get as many of these as you want for all these different countries. My encouragement for you is to go and to pray for them. And we're going to pray right now corporately for them, and then we'll look at how we respond personally to this text. Let's pray. God, we pray for our brothers and sisters in North Korea. God, we think of the thousands of Christians that this morning as we sit here in a church in a free country where we can express our beliefs are finding themselves being tortured in a labor camp. God, be with them. God, give them great grace. God, give them great strength. And God, we pray for the leaders of North Korea, God, that you would tear down their hearts of stone. God, that you would open their eyes to your gospel and that they would stop persecuting these people. And God, we pray for those who are afraid to tell their own spouses and children about their faith. God, that you would give them boldness. God, that you would give them wisdom. And God, today, that you would keep us from being so focused on our little America that we miss but our brothers and sisters who have also called on your name and who will one day stand with us around the throne in heaven or going through right now. Now break our hearts for them and let us this week intercede on their behalf. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What about you?